Look, I didn't do it. Five years ago, I had no idea I'd be here. Who are you, anyway? What are you taking for? I must be dreaming. Fire. Fire. Listen, I'll, I'll never eat a double cheeseburger before bed again. Really. I'm telling you, I didn't do it. But if I did do it, it was an accident. In promulgating your esoteric cogitations and articulating your superficial sentimentalities, amicable philosophical and psychological observations, beware of platitudinous ponderosities. Are we really the dream police? And a million dollars a year in the scientific world, I mean that that's nothing. That's 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 not even a penny. I mean that's that's a mangled penny if if that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the grind. <laughs> okay, guys, welcome back to the Grind America show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Lucid Dreamer Robert Wagner a little bit later. Uh, but first, Gwyneth Graham Dunlop. How's it going tonight, buddy? Gwyneth? Gwyneth. Oh, I don't even know what that means. Bearing dung. Bearing dung. <laughs> Bearing? As in carrying? Is it, I suppose, or. Because everybody's bearing dung. Yeah, at some point. At a certain point. In some. Hey, I'm doing good. (laughs) (laughs) I was at this hairdresser. I I went to a new hair salon the other day, and uh, and this this. There's got to be a better way to say that. I go to a fucking barber. I know, but I like to get the full-on head massage and everything with it. They do the Calgary's totally different than Vancouver for that. So you get the full full package of the head massage and everything. Full Monty with the head massage. So anyways, I, I tell her that I do this podcast and she's like, oh, you mean you talk about stuff like ghosts and Bigfoot and all that? And I just mentioned like fringe topics and everything. And so it turns out she grew up in this total atheist family and uh, and she had this ghost experience and it scared the shit out of her. She's always been a skeptic, but she's scared out of her house for like four days. So pretty cool. I mean, she's still very scientific, but it's cool to talk to people in day to day about their experiences. You know, you find that all the time, right? Talk about this stuff, and everybody or somebody they know has had some sort of strange experience. So. Word up. How much did that cost you? Uh, including a tip? Yeah. 40 bucks, something like that? 45 maybe? Well, that's not bad. I'd pay 20 Yeah, I, yeah. 22 or 25 with a shave. It's within walking distance, so. Straight razor style. Get to save on emissions and save the earth, you know. And I put a cigarette or a cigar out on my cheek. What was that all about? I don't know. How you doing? Good. Haven't been to the salon lately. No? That's really chipping away at me. I could actually use a pedicure. I've been trying to get my wife to give me one, Lisa, but... She won't do it? No, she's disgusted by my feet. I know. Oh, really? I'm a little disgusted by my feet, too. Really? Pretty gangly. You want to see one? Sure. All right, keep talking. Is he really going to do it? He probably is, eh? Is that because he wears work boots every day? 
That's not so bad. What's wrong with that? That's nothing, man. Do I touch it? No. Okay. It's okay if you do. Maybe I should get your reflexology uh, session for Christmas. What the fuck's that? It seems like witchcraft. That's oh, good stuff. Chinese, traditional Chinese foot medicine. Foot medicine? Do they massage your feet? Yeah. Are they good at it? Sometimes it hurts. I'm not down with that. I'm sure you can ask them to, to calm down a little bit and just do it lightly. What about those places you go and you let those little fish eat your feet? Oh, yeah, that'd be cool, eh? Didn't they get, like, shut down for crazy spreading of germs? No, I don't think so. No? What would they be called? I wonder if you hear It's a fish pedicure. Fish pedicure? Yeah. Try Googling, like, fish. It's pashicure. Fish. <laughs> like, pescetarian, right? Like, I only eat fish Isn't for a while, so it'd be pescetarian. No, that's a religion. What? There they are. Fish pedicure. Fish pedicure. Dr. Fish. The nibble fish. So put, put fish pedicure germs. Okay. Well, why do you have to prove that it's uh, very ri- Look, very low risk. Very low risk. You just go with the first thing you see. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you skipped the first thing because it was anti. And you went, to the, you went directly to the first thing. That backed up. Oh no, I didn't. No, I didn't notice the proceed with caution there. Yeah, that's because it seems fucked up. And that could go eat some other fucker's foot, and then come and chew on your foot, and then chew on my foot. Ugh, that is not happening unless I get my own fish. I don't care if someone has them after me, but I want fresh ones. I might prefer if they were killed after too. Maybe I could eat them. No? That's not good. That's pretty gross. Really? Yeah, eating all the bacteria off your foot? Well, no, you're eating a little fish. Bacteria would still be in their stomach. So it does say there's a risk or something, eh? Hmm. Very little or very high, we don't know. Too soon to tell. May carry bacteria responsible for... Oh, that's that's nothing. So I got a couple of things to talk about since we're on a lucid dreaming to- uh, podcast here. So we're starting off real quick here with a uh, UFO quote of the week. You ready for this one? I'm ready. Born ready. Three objects appeared. Oh no, I'm on the wrong one. Shit. That was last week's. (laughs) The definitive resolution of the UFO enigma will not come about unless and until the problem is subjected to open and extensive scientific study by the normal procedures of established science. In their public statements, but not necessarily in their private statements, scientists express a generally negative attitude towards the UFO problem, and it is interesting to try to understand this attitude. Most scientists have never had the occasion to confront evidence concerning the UFO phenomena. That's from Dr. Peter A. Sturck, Professor of Space Science and Astrophysics and Deputy Director of the Center for Space Studies and Astrophysics at Stanford University. Survey of American Astronomical... Astronom- Astronomical... Astronom- Ast- what? Society. Oh, astro- astronomical? Astronomical. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> what did you say? Astronomical. <laughs> Uh, so anyways that's a good quote uh, that's when when RPJ makes fun of me when we talk about the scrollager right really here's that 
No, but that's all I'm at. That's my version of disclosure is that academia has opened up and like the scientific community and, you know, people are just accepting that it needs some, some uh, investigation. Not that the government tells us that there's a phenomenon going on. That may never happen, right? It'll come from public and the science community. So instead of giving up on disclosure, you'll just change the definition. No, that's my version of, of what disclosure means. That's all to me. Food for thought, I suppose. Yeah. Seems fucked up, though. So do you got any feedback or anything for us? I got nothing. You got nothing? Do you nothing. want to hear about my lucid dream? No. This is well, this is a lucid dreaming pot. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy one, actually, and it kind of involves stuff that you're interested in. So. Okay, I thought you were going to say it involves me, and then I was going to be a little weirded <laughs> out. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was. I dreamt it right after our last episode. <laughs> that was like a few moments, actually. I was like, oh, God. Actually, I think someone actually just, uh, someone actually tweeted, I think, um, today, talk, they were listening to our last episode the other night, and they had crazy dreams. Listen to your most recent podcast while trying to sleep. Had the craziest on and off lucid dreams all night. Are you guys wizards? To which I replied, Graham's a wizard. Thanks, buddy. No problem. Is it Warlock? Do you prefer Warlock? Uh, either one's fine. Either or? Depends on what robe I'm wearing. What context? Yeah. What role you're playing? Yeah. Do you want to hear the, the way I use my wizardry and my lucid dream then? I, I do. Okay. So just bear with me for a sec. It is pretty crazy. So I'm in this sort of condo. It's almost like mine. It's got a balcony and stuff, but it's it's different, right? I'm in this condo with about three or four other guys and we get attacked by this kind of alien spaceship <laughs> coming up from the, like from the balcony, right? Like you're coming up from below, but it not, it wasn't necessarily, we didn't think of it as alien. It was just like, it, it could have been a drone or like something like, <clears throat> uh, like a hell, you know, like a, uh, an aerial vehicle, right? Didn't necessarily. So we're throwing stuff at it and I'm grabbing like weapons from like a candle or a bottle or whatever and chucking at the thing. And somehow we deterred it enough that it couldn't come up any further, right? Level, even level with the balcony. And then the ne- all of a sudden it came up for a next round and it was kind of like started firing shit in our, in our, uh, in our room. So for some reason I ran and ducked underneath, like I went closest to the balcony and ducked underneath the thing and it was kind of firing over top and the thing ended up coming in and and uh i started fighting it, and it started splitting up into you know like a alien the movie maybe and it split up into like a million little pieces and every time you'd hit the pieces it would break up into more pieces and they would still be alive so it was like just like the more you would fight the worse it would be right somehow i ended up flying off the balcony and flying above the scene and the three or four guys that i was in the apartment with Yes, kind of floated, flew up to the top, right? So I've just realized flying is my dream sign, right? So just bear with me for a second. When you fly, you're dreaming? Well, yeah, but that's not what it means. It means that that's how I can become lucid, right, is through flight instead of through, like, looking at your hands like Carlos Castaneda or whatever. So anyways, I noticed they were up there with me. And their, but their bodies, they they had made their bodies invisible and they had just, like, left their body and came up and they were floating around watching the scene or something like that. So... They told me that, and I guess they couldn't go because my body, like I was actually flying up there in person, right? And they said that the alien, you could fight them against or there was something that they, was uh, 
you could use against him in in Smoky Town. <laughs> Smoky Town was this town across the horizon. You could see smoke coming off of it. And I guess Smoky Town is in reference to marijuana. So that the only thing you could use against these aliens was marijuana. So I started trying to fly towards Smoky Town, and I and they, I was being chased right by these aliens. And I realized like I could fly really fast to get there because. That's when I realized I, I was actually dreaming, right? So I became lucid during this flight, and I thought, okay, now I'm lucid, I'm dreaming. I realize I'm dreaming. I can get to Smoky Town. I can just fly there really fast, but that wasn't really working. So I decided to try that technique of spinning in the air, and I just appeared in Smoky Town. So I got this head start. I appeared in Smoky Town. I ran up these stairs in this tower kind of thing, and these three guys or four guys on the balcony were smoking a dupe. So I grabbed the dupe off the guy. And I started puffing on it, and as the alien was coming up, running after me, I'd blow smoke in his face, and that was like the way I, I uh, got rid of the the so aliens. You were dreaming about smoking. I know. Again, I know to get rid of the aliens. Like, what? What the fuck does that mean? The demons. The aliens. It was crazy, man. You think so? Yeah. And pot isn't pot my demon supposed to be? That's maybe. It is a pretty weird using dream. Like if you're using drugs and then trying to use it to. You know, and I was lucid at the same time. And then at the end, I ended up kissing this girl, and, and I said to her that it was a deja vu thing, and we'd done this before, and in another dream, and kind of went on a little bit. So it ended it ended happy. Maybe I, like, was in, like, a monomyth thing, and I saved the damsel in the world or something like that. Maybe it's a combination of Robert Sullivan's interview, too, with cinema symbolism. Yeah. You're not digging it, eh? No, it seems fucked up. Flying to Smoky Town, dreaming about doing drugs to <laughs> defeat aliens. Uh, it's pretty good, actually. It was pretty crazy. Not a big dream guy. Well, you got to try that uh, that technique where you fall through your bed. So I can fight aliens in yeah. Smoky Town? Yeah. Uh, I prefer to sleep. Solid. <laughs> Wake up feeling rested. Probably not. I think if you dream, you probably wake up feeling more rested, right? No, I don't. sometimes I'm exhausted after. after before yeah. you're flying all over the place. Yeah, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think that, you know, I don't think dreaming equals rest. You don't? No. Plus, you can have that thing that Robert talked about after your dream. That they call it like the glow, the afterglow. Afterglow? Did you have that? Yeah. Did you wake up? Were you just like, oh my gosh. It's I recorded. Okay. It, I recorded it in my phone. Were you stoned when you woke up? Uh, well, you, sometimes you can feel like it. Yeah. You recorded it. Yeah, in my phone. Yeah. As soon as you woke up. Yeah. Can you play Not it? as soon as I woke up because I actually remembered it, so it took me a little while. But was this in the middle of the night or like in the morning on your uh, way to work? Or I don't know. I'd have to check the timestamp on my recording. Can you, can't you just do that? Are you doing that now? I can if you want. I I like to, I'd like to know the timestamp. Really? Yep. I actually even. I think I even aliens in Smoky Town. I named it, and it's uh, aliens in Smoky Town. <laughs> uh, three. Uh, I don't think it says the time. Can you play it? Can we? Can we sample a little bit of it? You've ruined it. Ship. It was down there, <laughs> and we had these other sort of homemade bomb type things and all. But anyways, then it. Uh, then there was like a round two to it, and it came up, and we were totally not. <laughs> Look at your, it sounds like you're stoned. <laughs> you woke up stoned from dreaming about smoking pot and fighting aliens. 
Isn't it Wagner we were talking about? It says you could, if you're doing drugs in a dream, you could feel the effects. Yeah, man. So were you stoned? Were you hungry when you woke up? <laughs> Was life just great? That's why I had that big yeah, breakfast. Now I know hungry. why. Sound just stoned to the gills? Or I'm going to try that, just dreaming about getting baked. <laughs> so speaking of getting baked, I have a I have a, a story, a tripping story from one of our listeners. You still need a jingle for that. So this is from Pat O. It's, uh, he says, you guys opened up the floodgates with this new segment. I have to throw my hat in right away. <clears throat> he mentions he's been trying to track down some DMT, but he says, uh, they say in Reddit, if you don't find DMT, it finds you. <laughs> so anyways, uh, we'll talk about that later. So he says, sometime after high school, he caught the wind of the fact you would uh, use, you would be able to boil down sucrets. And those are that, those uh, throat lozenges and make some kind of psychedelic tea. Take a whole pack of sucrets, throw them in a pot of water, dissolve said sucrets, drink the water. <clears throat> I never got the chance to do this because by the time I caught wind of it, they had already changed the recipe. I did learn, however, that if you drink a whole bottle of cough syrup, it would have a similar effect. This process was called robo-tripping because it's often done with a bottle Robitussin? of... Yeah, Robitussin DM. Fuck yeah. Apparently you're a robo-tripper, Darren. The active ingredient was dexomethorphine hydrobromine, and if you drank a whole bunch of it at once, local legend had it, you would make you trip balls. I'm here to confirm this is 100% true. Really? This isn't a native advertisement for cough syrup, by the way. They must have changed that recipe, too. Anyways, the first, com- the first couple times I did it, I wigged out pretty hard. I would do it at parties and stuff, filling an entire pint glass with Robitussin and then walking around socially drinking it. (laughs) Nothing ever too insane happened from these experiences, but it turned me into a fucking weirdo at parties. It wasn't (laughs) until I started mixing weed with it that things took the turn. One day after, one afternoon, a buddy and I decided to robo-trip. We each downed a bottle, smoked the bowl, then chilled out on his basement on our respective couches for the drugs, waiting for the drugs to take hold. A short time later, I started getting a real wild body buzz. Drinking all that cough syrup at once rots your stomach, much like mushrooms, wild, much like with mushrooms. So feeling a little queasy wasn't all that uncommon. I remember rolling over on my side and pulling one of the couch pillows down over my head, trying to retreat into a calm space. It was quiet and dark. And immediately I started to feel better. The nausea passed, but I still felt like I was moving. Eyes shut and in total darkness, I started to see wild fractal patterns behind my eyes. This amazed me greatly because there in the absence of outside light, I knew these images were things that my mind was projecting. I remember rationalizing to myself that my mind was putting on a show for me. So I decided to sit back and watch it all unfold. I knew I was still on the couch. I knew my buddy was right there beside me. I felt relatively safe at the time, so I opened myself up to the trip. This is what I saw. At some point, I started moving. The body buzz, sense of motion, never completely ended, and the fractals gave way to other images. Things blurring past me, mostly just nonsense, but I remember things finally slowing enough for me to find myself looking down on a family of four seated at a dinner table. This part is hard to explain, but it's almost as if my point of view was that some that of someone floating in the corner of the room looking down on this family. I didn't recognize them. They were very nondescript. But at some point, one of them noticed me. They looked up from their dinner and saw me. It was the father first. He jumped back from his seat and yelled, 
The mother and the two children then looked up in my direction and screamed, the children running to their mother, scared out of their minds as the father figure yell things up at me. I wanted to try and communicate with them, but before I knew it, I was gone, moving on somewhere else. <clears throat> Next thing I know, I was on a different planet. Lots of fire, lots of lava. It was very hell-like. But I remember distinctly realizing it was just a different planet. I floated over the surface very fast. Once again, this was all just POV. No concept of what it looked like, what I looked like, or anything. Eventually, I moved over this creature that was working in the dirt. It was like toiling in the ground and when i looked when it looked up at me it became very angry and i felt fear to describe the being it kind of looked like one of those pig guards from jabba's palace in the first 20 minutes of return of the jedi <clears throat> clothed but ragged but in ragged attire i remember it was trying to get me reaching out making angry angry noises at this point i got fucking really scared and sat up from the couch this entire episode felt like a massive journey, but in reality, only a short period of time had passed. I was still high, but it was fading. I tried to tell my buddy what had happened, but he was in the middle of his own thing. So I laid back down and tried to recover to get back to whatever state I was in, but to no avail. This made me a little sad, as coming off a real intense trip usually does. I robo-tripped a couple more times, but never ever came close to that one. Plus, you knew the shit was like horrible for you physically, and it wasn't something you wanted to make a habit of doing. Anyways... Great segment idea. I look forward to hearing other people's stories. You guys are doing awesome work, yada, yada, yada. That's from Pat O, who's also a blogger. We've had him on for a couple of minutes before, and, yeah, I really appreciate the, uh, the trip. And once again, we're not advocating anybody to do this, but you have. I'm not advocating anybody to drink a <laughs> bottle of Robitussin. <laughs> uh, I, never, I don't think I've ever heard of that before, but that's interesting. Seems fucking crazy. Seems crazy. Yeah? I wonder what the... It'd be, it'd be interesting to like do the work to like break down what the active ingredients are and yeah, see what the fuck you're actually getting yourself into. Yeah, well, he did say it was that uh, I can't find it now, but that uh, that ingredient that I could hardly read. Jibber jabber and all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but do you ever wonder if uh, if something does open up? Like, what if uh, like like a DMT trip, for example, and that that family that. What if there's some family somewhere having this experience of seeing somebody like fucking floating by their ceiling, like a ghost thing or some interdimensional apparition? Thin veil. And it's just Graham lucid dreaming, creeping yeah, on yeah. people. Or lucid dreaming, yeah, same thing, right? Have you fucking scared anyone yet? Lucid creeping? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't tell me you're gonna start calling it lucid creeping. <clears throat> All right, you want a synchro? Thanks, yes, Pat. Absolutely. So for this synchro, whoops, for this synchro, I think we'll go with this one. I'm a rambling grand with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone. Hey, this is from our friend from Paradigm Symposium, Stuart James. And he just wanted to drop us a line and say Merry Non-Denominational Seasons Greetings. Christmas. Fucking Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) 
I, did, I also have a synchronicity for you guys, and he's got it. He's got what he thinks it should be rated, but I won't tell you that until later. Okay, this happened about six years ago, about two months before my wife and I got married. A package was delivered to our door, and it has my wife's name on the packing slip. So I signed for it and bring it in. So I call for my wife. Her name is I am, by the way. I am. I am. <clears throat> and she comes to the front of the door because. She hadn't ordered anything that she could remember, but the package has her name on it and her correct address, so we open it up, thinking that it's our wedding present or something. Inside are a couple hundred really nice leather-bound notebooks with my wife's name, I-A-M, in block letters across the front of these notebooks. I look to her with the expression of, what the fuck? Why would you order these? But I can see she looks just as confused as me. I take a second look at one of the notebooks and see that there is some fine print underneath. And it turns out that IAM was an acronym for International Association of Ministries. At this point, we're both a little like, okay, a weird coincidence, but it just got delivered to her by mistake. But wait, it had our address. So I double-checked the packing slip, and it is our exact address except for the quadrant of the city, which was northwest, and we were in the southwest at the time. So what are the chances that the International Association of Ministries I-A-M, my wife's name, would have our exact same address just in a different quadrant of the city. Anyway, we contacted them and returned the books and they let us keep a handful. As the receptionist there, I thought the whole thing was a little spooky. Anyways, he really enjoys the show and he uh, thanks for popping his podcast Chariot Paradigm because he was on for... Uh, a couple minutes there and I think it was our last episode of Paradigm. It was great hanging out with you guys and uh, he thinks he owes Darren some vodka. Probably not. Darren probably owes you some vodka. <laughs> he, left his, he left Paradigm so inspired by the work that uh, we're doing and Red Pill's doing that he started up his own blog. So he's uh, he's linked to it below here. So we'll have to take a look at that. Liggity bloggity. Liggity bloggity. So yeah, thanks uh, Stuart. That was pretty cool, especially because his wife's name is not like, you know, Jane or something like that, right? I am reluctant. Reluctant to what? I am? I am. I'd like to see the book. Is it I.A.M? Or is it just am? I am. Is it punctuation? I am in big block letters. Is there a picture? No. Oh. Because punctuation is going to make a big difference here. So it's either a 7 or an 8, depending on punctuation. Wow. That's good. What did he think it was going to be? 6.5. That's probably where it should be, but I like Stuart. <laughs> All right, thanks for the email, Stuart. It's awesome. He was right. Yeah, well, that should about wrap it up, I suppose, eh? Yeah, we got to do some housekeeping, though. I got a bunch of T-shirts still that I'd like to... To give away if people want to donate twenty five bucks, I think you said right or more. Get yeah, a twenty five dollars or more. Get a Grand America T shirt. Is there a picture of it somewhere? Get your friends a Grand America T shirt for Christmas. Uh, there's a picture on Twitter. Okay. I could maybe put one on the website. <clears throat> Just go yeah. to grandamerica.ca slash Twitter and browse through the pictures and you'll find it. Hashtag T shirt or something like that. <laughs> Fucking hashtags. Hashtags are for suckers. Oh. Um. <laughs> But yeah, donations $25 or more. Get a Grand America t-shirt. I think all we have is large. Uh, I guess suppose eventually we should, we'll have to get some bigger sizes. If anyone if anyone buys up all these ones, maybe if we get rid of all these ones, you can get a couple of each size. Yeah, they're pretty cool looking t-shirts. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're pretty good. Pretty slick, guy. 
Other than that, you got anything else? Yeah, Money just, uh, oh, d- yeah. just donate cool. to the show and help our expenses out. Uh, yeah, you can do it through the 50-50 Money Bomb or just sign up for a monthly subscription, get a Grammaric email address. Yeah, or just donate one time, whatever you want to do, help support our value-for-value value model. Uh, we're 100% ad-free and always will be, website and podcasts. No corporate sponsorship. No sponsorship. We rely 100% on our listener support, and it's optional. So subscribe, get a Grammaric email address, help the show, and have a good Christmas. Yeah. You feel a little better for Christmas. Yeah. Send your uh, feedback to us, spamgram, right? Yeah, gram at gramerica.com, graham at gramerica.com. Going in first, buddy. Synchronicities, uh, psychedelic experiences. Yeah, for the new segment. We need yeah. a jingle, too, if you're handy with jingles. Yeah. All right, buddy, thanks. Enjoy the chat, and with, we'll see you in the yeah, outro. With Robert Wagner and Lucid Dreaming. Awesome. One of my favorites. guys uh tonight in grand america we're going to be chatting with uh, robert wagner about lucid dreaming uh huge thing of grams we've all heard how giddy graham gets when we start talking about lucid dreaming so he's pretty excited so uh but first giddy graham how's it going <laughs> tonight on, buddy man. oh not too bad i'm doing pretty good fully over my cold and ready to, to chat about lucid dreaming but, back to 100 percent uh no not quite but just about yeah 95 yeah yeah let's see that I've healed myself through lucid dreams. No, just kidding. <laughs> I wish. So anyways, uh, like Darren said, we've got Robert Wagner here. He's an author, speaker, and lucid dreamer himself, probably like a master lucid dreamer. Get to talk to him about his thousands of uh, logged lucid dreams. Fascinating stuff. I was just reading his book there, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self. And he's also um, the co-editor of the only online lucid dreaming mag called Lu- The Lucid Dreaming Experience. So this is a a topic that's pretty deep here. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if anybody's tried lucid dreaming, they realize how difficult it can be. And Robert really gets deep into uh, kind of communicating with the unconscious or your subconscious and your inner self. And um, there's some fascinating stuff going on here. I think of this as in the same realm of like the uh, near death experience research and the OBEs and that type of thing. Like, I think it's, it's a piece of the puzzle that's helping us prove that consciousness doesn't necessarily reside within us and within the brain, you know, mind doesn't equal brain. So I can't wait to hear more about that. So welcome to Grimerica, Robert. Hey, thanks, uh, Graham and Darren It's great to be here. Yeah. I've been, I've been really looking forward to this. I tried, I tried lucid dreaming um, a couple of years back 
And it, and it just, it, it was, I, I managed a couple of them. It was going okay, but I, I almost felt like it wasn't the right time for me to, uh, to try and delve into that. So I kind of reinstigated that whole thing after, uh, after we booked you on the show here, I, I started reading your book and trying it again. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I got some personal questions for you, but before that, can you just, uh, let's get to the basics a little bit. And can you define like your definition of lucid dreaming just for people that aren't really too aware of, of what it actually is? Yeah. So, um, a lucid dream is any dream in which you realize within the dream that you're dreaming of, for example, my very first lucid dream as a, as a young kid, um, I, I found myself in the public library. I saw a T-Rex, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, walking through the book stacks. And, and, and even though I was just 10 or 11 years old, I thought, wait a second, uh, dinosaurs are extinct. Oh, this must be a dream. And so at that moment, I became lucidly aware. I knew I was dreaming. So, so that's what a lucid dream is. You normally recognize something impossible in the dream, and then it clicks that, wait a second, this is too strange. Oh, this must be a dream. And then, and then was that what started you on, on with your interest in lucid dreaming, or did it, I think it happened a little later on in life, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so, so I was just a young guy and had pretty interesting dreams. But it, it wasn't until I was in high school, and this was back in 1975, so I've, I've been at lucid dreaming for a long time. But back in 1975, I read a book by Carlos Castaneda called Journey to Ixtlan. Uh -huh. This is his third book. And in this book, his shamanic teacher, Don Juan, tells him that he wants him to find his hands in his dream and become aware of dreaming. And there were hardly any techniques in this book, but um, each night before I went to sleep, I'd just look at my hands and I'd tell myself, tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And I'd do that for about five minutes and fall asleep. And, and on, on the third night, uh, my hands popped right in front of my face and I realized, oh, crap, I'm, I'm dreaming. You know, I was, I was walking through a high school hallway. Uh, and uh, it blew my mind when my hands popped right in front of my face. So that works. How long did it take? You know, for, for me, it just took me uh, three nights of doing this. So I, I do it three nights for about five or six minutes. And I would just fixedly, fixedly stare at my hands while repeating that phrase over and over in my mind. Tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And after three nights, you know, boom, it happened. You know, it's funny. Uh, I, I get a lot of uh, emails and and inquiries from people. But one woman told me that she was doing this technique uh, every night. She'd been reading my book. And one night her husband asked her, you know, what are you doing? And so she explained how you're supposed to find your hands in your, your dream. Anyway, that next night, what happens? In his dream, his hands pop right up in front of his face and he goes, oh, crap, I'm having a lucid dream. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was really uh, pissed off that it just took him one night to uh, get into it. But but normally within uh, a week or two, um, most people have success with this technique. Wow. So you actually literally maybe that's what my problem was, is I, I didn't spend enough time like while lying in bed um, actually trying those types of techniques. Like I did try the like some of the Stephen LeBurge stuff where you. I started like turning light switches on and off and like going through a doorway and going, am I dreaming like that whole, like training yourself to ask that question. 
That's yeah, the one you yeah. tried to tell me. I don't see. Yeah, that's. Uh, I like the hands one a lot better than <laughs> looking like a jackass all day. <laughs> you know, the, the, here's the nice thing about the hands thing. It, it's very, uh, very uh, uh, Pavlovian. Um, you, you, you all remember how Pavlov uh, rang a bell every time he fed his dogs food. Mm-hmm. And so then after a while, he could just ring the bell and they would salivate. So, so this was a, an ex an example of conditioning, conditioning behavior. And so that's the nice thing about looking at your hands. You're using your hands as a dream sign. It's all very clear. As soon as you see your hands, your first thought should be, oh, my hands, this is a dream. Right. So it's a real stimulus response kind of thing. Now, is that the, is that the term for when that trigger that, uh, that enables you to become lucid? Is there a dream sign? Or I can't remember what it was. I thought there was another term used for it. Yeah, you know, no, no, normally that's what we call a dream sign is is some sign that that makes your critical awareness happen so that you realize you're dreaming. So for some people, a dream sign might be their grandmother because they know grandma's been dead for 10 years. And when they see her, they think, oh, yeah, this is a dream because grandma's been dead for 10 years. Our <laughs> dream sign could be a tornado or, or anything. But 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 by looking at your hands, you predetermine what the dream sign is. It's your hands. And so when you see your hands, you think, wow, this is a dream. Wow. So so you did spend like a, a few minutes anyways, because I think I tried that a couple of times, but it was really like 30 seconds. Like it probably wasn't enough time to like, you know, yeah. ingrain yeah. in my subconscious. Yeah. You, you know, you do have to you do have to try a little bit. Uh, I remember talking to a guy in uh, Los Angeles. I was there giving a talk and he told me that what happened to him one time, he, he had a lot of success with it and, and things were going great. And then he said one time um, he saw his hands and he didn't immediately think this is a dream. He just saw his hands. And then he said his hands started slapping him in the face until he finally <laughs> realized, oh, this is a dream. So, so, so anyway, uh, you, you get some help along the way, but, but it does help to spend four or five minutes each night uh, doing this. So you make it uh, something fixed in your head. Do you still use techniques like that at this stage? You, you know, um, I don't. Um, I, I use that technique basically for the first five years because what you have to realize here is I started doing this in 1975 when I was in high school and the scientific proof didn't emerge until 1980. Yeah. And so I did it for about five years. I was telling people, hey, I'm becoming consciously aware in my dreams. And they told me, oh, you're crazy. You can't become aware in the unconscious. And and then I taught some of my friends the technique, and they had success and all. But, but uh, after uh, 1980 and and the evidence that uh, Stephen LeBurge and others started to show, uh, th- that that's when I started trying some of the other techniques, and you know, um, and and took took off from there. So as soon as you realize you're lucid, is it like game on right there, or is it, does it take <laughs> some training and to like master it, or how does that kind of work? You know, um, for me, I, I I kind of had lessons in lucidity. I mean, almost every lucid dream was a lesson. And so one of the first lessons I learned, and, and this is something that almost every lucid dreamer learns, you can't get too excited. If you get way too excited, you'll pop out of the lucid dream. So, so if you're walking along and you see Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and you think, oh, shit, oh, this is a dream. Then at that moment, if you get too excited, you'll probably pop out of the dream. So you got to look at the ground, look at your feet, look at your hands, something, or tell yourself to calm down. 
So that was one of my first lessons. You, you have to modulate your emotions. Then the other thing I realized, you really have to maintain your focus because let's say you become lucidly aware, you're in that virtual reality of the dream, but sometimes that, that virtual reality can be so fascinating that you forget that you're lucid and, and you return to regular dreaming. So it, it took me, you know, uh, a number of lucid dreams to kind of figure out all the principles and the rules and, and all the various things. Because when you figure these rules out, you realize that you're kind of in an alternate dimension, an alternate reality. And uh, even though it might be a reality that's occurring in your head, it's still a principled reality. It also may not be one that's just occurring in your head. I mean, I'd like to get get into some deeper aspects later on, for sure, because there's, you know, your book is filled with with some pretty crazy, uh, you know, evidence of of something little bit more going on here right yeah exactly and, and so so that's why um, it's really a journey you, you start out and you're you're learning the rules you're learning the principles and then you're starting to explore and then you're starting to experiment and that's the beautiful thing about lucid dreaming not only can you conduct personal experiments but you can also conduct scientific experiments and that's why i really think that lucid dreaming someday is going to revolutionize the sciences because you can take lucid dreaming into a sleep lab and do experiments. So, so, you, so you're right. Uh, uh, at first, everyone assumes it's just happening in their head and all. But, but if you read my book and the chapter on, on mutual lucid dreams and mutual dreaming, you, you'll see that there's some times uh, when you can pass on information to somebody else who can pick it up. Wow. So, so getting back to uh, the part about uh, trying to to curtail your emotions a little bit while you're first in a dream. I kind of had the thing that you talked about happen. So, so over the last few weeks, I've been trying to lucid dream and I've actually been listening to this lucid dreaming series by the Monroe Institute. And they kind of take you through like an affirmation at the beginning and then some rain and they kind of, and then at the end of the 90 minutes, they kind of say like, you're dreaming, you're dreaming, try and trigger your, you know, your dream, your lucidity. But it's, uh, it's been tough because I had the headphones in and then I kind of wake up halfway through it and I get up, but I did have a couple periods of minor lucidity and flying seems to be my dream sign. And, and sometimes I'll, when I start flying, I'll realize I'm lucid, but I'm so into the dream that I, it's like, I, it's like, I realize I'm lucid, but I just keep going with the dream. And then I lose lucidity because of, I'm just too interested in what's going on already. Like I, there's no need for me to like try and control it. Cause I'm already like, what, what's coming up here? What's going on in the dream? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so that's, that's one of the first things. You have to be in the dream, but your mind has to tell you every few minutes, this is a dream, this is a dream, this is a dream. Because otherwise, it's just like you say, you get so into it that you just return to regular dreaming and you get lost to it. So is there any truth to the fact that, um, like, can you can you condition in your lucid dreams like can you can you say read a read a book or study for something or practice something you know what i mean and actually gain some sort of physical advantage you, you know darren the, there's a real fascinating fascinating story of this uh, young guy over in germany his name was matt hetmanzik and and so this guy was a graduate student in physical sciences or kind of sports therapy and so so uh, he really excelled at gymnastics and those kind of things, but 
to get a graduate degree, he had to do swimming classes, and he was a horrible swimmer. In, in fact, his swim coach told him that he swam like a rock. I mean, that, that's how bad this guy was as a swimmer. But what he was, he was a great lucid dreamer. He could become lucidly aware almost every night. And so what he started to do in his lucid dreams, he started to practice swimming form. And, you know, sometimes he would uh, make the pool be a pool of uh, like gummy bears and he would swim through the gummy bears. Or, you know, one time he made the pool uh, a pool of yogurt in his lucid dream and he could swim through the yogurt and kind of, you know, work on his technique and all. And, and he said, bit by bit, he began to improve so much that that the coach's mind was just blown that that he had improved his skills so much. And so, so I'll tell you, someday we're going to have some Olympian, and I'm talking the real Olympics, who's also a great lucid dreamer mm-hmm. and who practices in the lucid dream state. Because there was this guy, Paul Tholey, who is a Gestalt psychologist in Germany, who was a great lucid dreamer uh, back in the 80s and all. And he taught some skiers that they could lucid dream. And in their lucid dreams, they could perform some of the dangerous ski maneuvers that they would never do in waking reality because they might blow out their leg if something went bad. But he said these people started to become better and better skiers and started to shave you know, seconds off their time because they could practice in the virtual reality of lucid dreaming. And I suppose you could practice like almost indefinitely because it like, uh, is it like time? It always seems like time doesn't seem to matter. Well, you, you can practice as long as you can uh, maintain your lucid awareness. And, and for some people, it's, that's pretty easy to do. But, but uh, for, for other people, you know, it takes a while to get down the basics of lucid dreaming. Like this one guy, this uh, Matt Hetmanzik, uh, they even did a TV show on him um, um, in Germany. But he was such a good lucid dreamer that he could really practice, practice, practice in his lucid dreams. And by doing it there, it, he he vastly improved much faster than anyone would who was just a normal swimmer. It's crazy. You can see how that would work because when you're flying in a dream, I don't know, Darren, have you ever flown in a dream before? Like, it feels like I'm on the wind currents. I'm, like, adjusting myself and flying. Like, you feel like you know how to fly like a bird or whatever it is. And, and it's – so I could see how, like, whether it was swimming or flying, like, you could really physiologically, like, flex those those muscles in your mind. So You know, I, I really think it's the case. It, it's, uh, you know, you, your imagination and, and your mind is, is part of that. Like, there's that book, The Inner Game of Tennis. You know, there's this inner game of lucid dreaming, and you can really improve your physical skills there. So what about reading? Now, that's a bit different, right? Yeah, yeah. So normally in lucid dreams, um, things are kind of changeable. And so when you try to read something in a lucid dream, normally uh, when you look back at it 10 seconds later, the text has all changed or the words have all changed. And, and so there's there's some of these aspects of lucid dreaming that you realize that things aren't as stable, uh, probably because you don't focus on them. When you focus on them, they become stable. But when you shift your focus, uh, they lose their stability. So th- that's why it's hard sometimes to read and, and do some other things. And that's uh, there's another big myth, too, about controlling, right? Like you, you kind of showed in your book there that that people automatically think, oh, I can control my dream. And you're saying, no, 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 you can't. Uh, 
was the analogy used? Like uh, something about a wave doesn't control the ocean or no, a sailor doesn't control the sea, right? Yeah. You know, um, so oftentimes when you talk to people about lucid dreaming, they say, oh, you mean you control the dream? And, and that's not really the case, because if you controlled the dream, um, you know, th- then your lucid dreams, you know, would last for an hour or two if you could truly control it. And most people are lucky to have a lucid dream that'll last more than four or five minutes. Also, I tell them, look, if you truly controlled it, then when you like fly through a wall, because, you know, it's just dream stuff and you can fly through it, who creates all the stuff on the other side? I mean, if I fly through a wall and on the other side, you know, there's a castle and a white horse, who created that? You know, I, I didn't think about all that crap that's supposed to be on the other side of the wall when I fly through it. It's just there. And so after a while, you start to realize that you, the lucid dreamer, you influence and manipulate your own self within the dream. But there's more going on there. There's just more going on because something else is propping up the rest of the dream. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely not you. So, so the analogy I use is, is the sailor does not control the sea. And neither does the lucid dreamer control the dream. Um, like a sailor on the sea, we have to relate to the waves and the boat and the sails and the wind and all that. And the lucid dreamer is also relating to a whole bunch of forces, you know, also their own beliefs and expectations and, and many things. So, so we don't control the lucid dream. We influence ourselves within it. Many parameters there to think about. Can you mention that example in your book about the way when you did ask, what a, you asked uh, when you you left that room and you asked for when you'd open up the room, there'd be somebody in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so here was an example. You know, I, in my book, I kind of give my progression as a lucid dreamer just to show that, that it's really a deep journey and, and also it's full of personal experiments. So, so one time um, I was sitting in a classroom. And then I, you know, I was probably 24, 25 at the time. And I thought, well, wait a second, I, I've graduated from college. Oh, this must be a dream. And so I realized it was a dream and I was kind of feeling a little bit snarky. So, so I announced to everyone in the, in the dream classroom, I said, look, when I come back into this room, I'm going to go out to the hallway. But when I come back, I want to see many more attractive women in here. And, and so I walk out to the hallway, shut the door. And it was kind of funny being on the other side of the door because then I had to think, well, how, how long do I have to wait for the attractive women to appear? You know, do I have to give them 10 seconds or a minute or what? So, so after about 30 seconds, I opened up the door and now I walked in and, and here's uh, 15 uh, very attractive women. And even though I didn't specify this, uh, none of them had any clothes on and uh, they were all uh, standing in a very nice line uh, for, for me to, to, to walk by. So, 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 so but, but anyway, that does kind of call into question who creates, who created all of that? I, I mean, I announced the intent that, that I'm going to step out into the hallway and when I come back, I want to see many more attractive women in here. But, but, but how, are, how are all those details determined? I mean, you know, there's blonde hairs, there are brunettes, there's petite women and tall women and, and the whole thing. You know, how was all that created? And, and so that really made me think, you know, what's, what's really going on here in the lucid dream? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Hey, I've got a question from uh, Nikki Benefield in the, in the chat room, and I've I've experienced this too. I, it's funny at some stage of my life, it used to be easy to do this. Now I I try, and it's impossible. But he says I sometimes wake during dreams and able to re-enter that same dream. Are you able to control a dream in this case? Yeah, you know, um, 
you can definitely re-enter a dream. And, and so, so here's some tips for people who are listening who might want to re-enter a dream. Let's say you're having an incredible dream or an incredible lucid dream, but then something happens and you wake up. So what lucid dreamers have realized is that if you get your body back to the same exact position it was as you were when you woke up, so if your leg is like this and your arm is like this, you got to put your body back in the same exact position. And then for me, if I can start to review the last 10 or 15 seconds of that dream or lucid dream and just reviewing it over and over in my mind, oftentimes it'll all start going, you know, just like some old LP album that, that just skipped a little bit, you know, and the whole thing will reactivate. So, so yeah, you, you can re-enter a dream and and lucidly begin to manipulate it. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. <clears throat> and there's a, there's a technique, I guess, for when you can, uh, when you wake up in the morning and you go back to bed, I think it's called a wild or something, or Stephen LaBerge, I think mentioned it, uh, wake, wake into yeah, dreaming yeah. or something like that. Wake yeah. back up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, grandma, the, the wild uh, stands for wake initiated lucid dreams. Right, right. And, uh, he had a great uh, lucid dreamer research subject, uh, Beverly D'Urso, who's a friend of mine, and she could basically move from the waking state into a lucid dream. And and so in, in LaBerge's book, he, he gave one technique of how a person could do this. So like, let's say you automatic, you wake up naturally in the middle of the night. And if you want to have a lucid dream, he said, for some people, if they could just go start the counting technique. So you'd say, one, this is a dream two, this is a dream, three, this is a dream. Oftentimes you found by the time you got to 21, you would be looking around and you realize, oh, this is a dream. <laughs> and, and, and so that's how you could move your waking consciousness into the lucid dream state. But it's probably much easier to do at night when you've naturally awakened in the middle of the night because your, uh, your neurology is in a more uh, dreamy space then and, and it's easier to get back into the dream uh, lucidly. Right. Hey, I've got another question for you here, just from a personal perspective. Sure. Because this happened to me the other night, uh, and I don't know if I, I, I didn't make it all the way through your book, so I can't, so there might be some yeah. things that uh, I just didn't have the time, but I'm definitely going to gonna do it. So I was uh, using drugs in, in one of my dreams. I have the odd, like, drinking and using dreams or whatever, or using <laughs> dream, and I think that's the one where I ended up in a tall tower being chased, and I had to, I was going to jump out as a huge drop to the to the ocean i thought that's okay i'm dreaming i can just fly right so i just leaped out anyways and started flying but i don't think i think being high in my dream almost like uh uh blocked my sustainable uh lucidity like i i almost is that is that something like have you ever heard about people being in a different state of awareness or during that you you know that, that that's really kind of an interesting one um there's this guy over in in holland who's a lucid dreamer, and uh, he reported that, that he had given up on any rec recreational drugs uh, there. But, but about 10 years later, he's having a dream, and he's in an airplane flying along, and he thought, oh, what the heck? And so he asked the dream stewardess, he asked if she had any hash. And, 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 and so she winked at him and, and went away, and then she came back and, and gave him this hash to smoke there on the lucid dream airline. And the guy said, that immediately he started to re-experience the feelings that he recalled uh, from his days when he used to do that. 
But, but he said what was worse is that when he woke up, he was basically stoned for the next two or three hours <laughs> because he had these kind of chemicals oh, that, that had been released in his system. Wow. So anyway, that, that's his experience. I, I have never tried this myself, but uh, it, in any case, it, it, it does make you kind of think about that connection of kind of mind body. You know, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you do something like that, you know, in, in the virtual reality of a lucid dream. Could it truly affect your physical body like that? Wow, because I, I have just... dreams that I, I I stopped using recreational drugs too, like uh, over six years ago, and I have using dreams still. Where, but it, it's not necessarily lucid dreaming, although I'd like it to be. But definitely memorable, definitely memorable, like intense dreams, right? You know, like yeah. In the last one, oh, I, I don't want to get into details, but <laughs> yeah, I think we'll save that. But I definitely do feel that. Uh, different in the morning just from a regular dream not necessarily high or anything like that but you know emo sometimes it could get they get pretty emotional right your dreams so oh yeah yeah and and actually um a lot of lucid dreamers report kind of a a lucid afterglow if they've had a big lucid dream uh -huh. an emotionally powerful lucid dream so sometimes when they wake up you know for the next few hours or the next day or two uh they can kind of be on this it's kind of a funny kind of high because it's kind of um, you just feel kind of powerful and energized and and that sort of experience. So so oftentimes that's the natural accompaniment uh, of having a powerful lucid dream. Yeah, that's I that's great. I can't wait to try some more here. Yeah. I think I'm going to make a real effort at it this time. And uh, have you heard about that Monroe Institute uh, dreaming lucid dreaming series at all? You know, a, a little bit, just a little bit. Um, the Monroe Institute, of course, is, is most well known for out-of-body experiences and doing that kind of stuff. And so so I, I haven't uh, checked into exactly what they're teaching in this uh, in this lucid dream series. But but uh, but in, in any case, I, I mean, there's a lot of different ways of approaching lucid dreaming and, and a lot of different techniques. Yeah. And if you get to the the. I put most of my techniques uh, in the back of the book, in the appendix yeah, of the yeah. book. So I, so I have about 30 pages in the back of things you can do to become lucidly aware and how to maintain that lucid state. So speaking of speaking of that, then, uh, Darren, Darren, we we brought this up because we had somebody from uh, the Monroe Institute on last uh, last week. Um, it was uh, Paul Elder. And we were talking about OBEs and stuff like that. And Darren was asking what the difference is between lucid dreaming and OBEs. So... Maybe you should answer that question yeah. before we go deeper. Yeah, no, that's a good one. So, uh, so remember again the the technical definition of a lucid dream is realizing within a dream that you're dreaming. So, so you see grandma and you think, wait, she's been dead for ten years. You see a dinosaur, you think, wait, those are extinct. You know, something happens in that dream that makes you realize you're dreaming. Now, when you read the reports of most OBEs. This they're happening at that fuzzy junction between waking and sleeping, like you're trying to fall asleep. And then all of a sudden you start to hear this vibration around your body or this humming around your head or you feel this weird energy. And all of a sudden you pop out of your body or you find yourself floating in your bedroom or something like that. So so when you read those kind of reports, where's the dream? There is no dream. They just started having these experiences, and then they found themselves floating in their bedroom or whatever. Also, in a lucid dream, you realize that things are are definitely a mental projection. So, so you know that 
you know, that when you fly through a wall, you know, it's kind of dream stuff and, and you're getting around in a mental environment. And, and Robert Monroe, who founded the Monroe Institute, he, he said the biggest difference between OBEs and lucid dreams is that in an OBE, it's kind of like dealing with this reality. It's very stable. This physical reality is very stable and secure and, and all that and not changeable. He said, the thing about a lucid dream is you can change the whole thing, you know, just by wanting it. So if you're wow. if you're in downtown Calgary and, and you want all the buildings to be pink, you know, a, a lucid dreamer can make all the buildings become pink. But, but, but if you're in downtown Calgary in an OBE state, you know, you, you can't make that happen. And so there's a lot of characteristics that differentiate a lucid dream from an OBE. Huh. And, and yet, in some ways. If you look at the remote viewing OBEs and lucid dreaming, you could almost say that there's a potential if you were to have some sort of secret bit of information somewhere, let's say in an envelope on somebody's desk somewhere, that we've had enough anecdotal evidence from all three of those phenomena that all three of those could almost access that secret information in some way, like almost like... You know, how how would you even think of that? Like different levels of consciousness or in a slightly different dimension, but it seems possible. You know, the, the they're all altered states of awareness. All of those are altered states of awareness. And, and oftentimes I tell people, you know, an OBE and a lucid dream, it's, it's kind of like a mountain lion and a house cat. They have a lot of similarities. I mean, when you start looking at them, you know, they're in that family of feline and all that kind of stuff. But at some place they differ. But but you're right. It, when you when you shift your awareness, when you move to an altered state of awareness, whether it's lucid dreams or OBEs, or even kind of a active meditative state of remote viewing, um, a lot of times you have access to inner senses uh, that that normally you ignore in the waking world. Hmm. So let, let's continue going down that rabbit hole a little bit. And can you talk about some of the the more extreme instances that you've come across or that are in your book about, about uh, relevant information that's been gathered in a dream or, um, you know, telepathic instances or, you know, like some, some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, in my book, I, I have chapters on all of this. And, yeah. and um, so in lucid dreams, people have by all appearances gotten telepathic information for example, uh, um, I belong to an organization called the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And, and this is my personal viewpoint, so it doesn't have anything to do with this organization that has a lot of scientists and researchers and mm -hmm. academicians and all in it. But uh, at, our, at our annual conferences, we have a dream telepathy uh, contest. And, and so how it works is uh, we have one person who's the sender. And they select one of four sealed envelopes and take it back to their room and they open it up and it's a photo or a picture. And they try to telepathically send it out there for everyone who's dreaming to pick it up. But in the morning when they come down to the table, all the dreamers see is are four pictures, but only one of them has been the telepathically sent picture. And so you write down your dreams or whatever they, that relate to one of these four images even though you don't know which one is the target image that's been sent out. So, so uh, about 10 years ago, there was a young woman came who gave a talk on her PhD research, which was on lucid dreaming and the creativity. 
Her name is Claire Johnson. And, and she was really intrigued by this idea of this dream telepathy contest. And so that night, she became lucidly aware, and she decided to seek out the telepathic sender. And uh, and the amazing thing is that uh, you can read the whole story in my book, but but basically she learned what the telepathic image was by by being lucidly aware and going to find the telepathic sender. And she actually said she felt kind of bad in the lucid dream because she didn't know if this was allowed by the rules to be consciously aware and, oh. and just find it out, you know, in the dream state. Oh, but, as opposed but, to a normal dream, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. instead of just having a, a normal random dream or whatever and, and hoping that you picked it up. But there's a lot of instances like this of uh, of doing this. And that's, that's why I'm saying you could scientifically experiment with this. Um, I remember um, one time I was on the forum, uh, lucipedia.com, and uh, the movie Inception had just come out. Uh-huh. And, and these people told me, oh, you know, mutual dreaming, mutual lucid dreaming, that's all, that's all malarkey. Yeah, and, and I told him, no, no, I, I think there's really something to it. And so someone asked me, well, well what's the mechanism? How, how would that work? And I said, well, it's probably dream telepathy is how, is how that works. And they said, oh, dream telepathy, that's just two people who are cheating and, and all. And I said, no, it's not. And so I told them, look, we'll conduct an experiment. I'll be the dream receiver, the telepathic receiver. You find the telepathic sender. You get 10 images. And have them randomly select one and send it to me. And and the first night that we did this, so I posted all my dreams and then they revealed the image that was sent. The guy who conducted it, he was totally blown away because it was so obvious that I had nailed the image that was sent. Really? And, and, and I did this just to show these young guys. I just wanted to show them, look, there's something powerful going on here. Scientifically, you can experiment with it and all. So, so they said, oh, well, we have to replicate this. You, you might have just got dumb lucky, you know, the first time. It might, might be all coincidence. And so we did it like six or seven more times, you know, and, and until and, until you, after a while, you just get tired of doing this kind of stuff because it takes a lot of focus and all. But, well, uh, yeah, but, yeah. but each time, each time it was very convincing. So, 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 so whether it's physics, you know, there's, there's this uh, guy, uh, Bohm, who who talked about, we have this explicate order, this physical reality, but we also might have an implicate order, kind of a hidden reality or a quantum reality. And and it might be that in dreaming and lucid dreaming that we connect to some sort of collective unconscious, some sort of matrix or web of information, and, and that's how it all happens. But, but in any case, uh, I, I think you can still go to the advanced section of lucipedia.com and see the whole time-dated uh, reports and, and conversations and all. Can you give us an example of just uh, the, you know, the, the point in your lucid dream where you realize that that's the image? Like, like from one of those tests, for example? Oh, you, well, you know, you, you, you honestly don't know. I mean, the, the, the thing of it is, like, uh, I, I remember one time becoming lucidly aware and uh, I, I saw one of my uh, my friends. And, and so I knew my friend was thinking about moving to a different town. Mm-hmm. And so I, I asked my friend in the lucid dream, I said, OK, a year from now, where will you be living? And he told me. And then I said, OK, a year from now, will you be married? Because he was really seriously dating this one young woman. And he said no. 
And, and, and then when I woke up, I thought, oh, crap, well, now I have to wait a year until I, I find the answer to this. But, 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 but both of the answers were later proven correct. But, but I, I, it, this reminds me of another case where this young guy, uh, um, university student down in Florida, uh, Ian Cosmo, he, he uh, allowed me to use his story in the book. He wrote me an email and he said, how do you know that you're really getting information outside of your own consciousness or subconsciousness? And, and I told him he should just do his own experiment and then he could find out. So, so what he did, he, he talked to a, a woman in the dormitory there with him. And she said, look, I have a weird freckle on my back. If you become lucidly aware, you come find me and then you can see where the weird freckle is. And then in waking reality, we can see if you really found it or if it's just bogus. And, and so he said the, the first time that week he became lucidly aware, he went out into the hallway and he said all these people came out of their dorm rooms and were yelling at him and all this kind of stuff. And so he, he woke up. And so the next time he became lucidly aware, he thought, oh, I'll just have her come to me. And so suddenly there's a knock on the door and she walks in. She turns around and shows him where the weird freckle is, which was right above her rump. And he's really surprised to see it there because he had kind of thought she had hinted that it was on the side of her back. Anyway, an hour later, he gets up, he goes down to her room, he knocks on the door. And, you know, that, now we're in waking reality. He knocks on the door. He tells her he found the weird freckle. And uh, she put on a T-shirt. She said, OK, put your finger where you think it is on the T-shirt. And he did. And when she pulled up the T-shirt, his finger was touching the, the weird freckle, which was right above her rump. So, so what I'm saying, you can do these personal experiments, but also if scientists cared or wanted to explore this avenue of getting unknown information, you could also do this in scientific experiments as well. So is, is there a lack of that going on? Like, how are the scientists treating it? Are they opening it up at all? Because we talk a lot about consciousness stuff uh, <clears throat> in, the, in this podcast and we have we're fans of shows like Skeptical, where they they battle over consciousness all the time, and it seems like it seems like it's opening up, but it, but there is still a battle of consciousness going on. But this lucid dreaming stuff seems way more uh, replicable than than uh, than telepathy or these other types oh, of yeah. experiments. Yeah, you know the nice thing about it, like a lot of times people have precognitive dreams, and. and and they'll have the dream, and then two weeks later, the incident will happen, and then they can look at their dream journal and say, look, look, it happened. But scientists are always pissed off because they say, oh, this is all retrocognitive. It's always after the fact. But in a lucid dream, you could get the information, you could wake up with it, you could hand it to the researcher, and then both you and the researcher could wait you know, a week or two later until the event happened, you know, whatever it was. But uh, but. The, the sad thing, here's just the sad thing, uh, because I belong to this organization, the International Association for the Study of Dreams. The amount of money of funding research for dream research and lucid dream research, uh, I bet internationally, all around the world, if you added it all up, it's probably less than a million dollars a year. Wow. And a and, and million dollars a year in the scientific world, I mean, that that's nothing. That's that's. That's not even a penny. I mean, that's that's a mangled penny, if, if that. And so so when you have that kind of disinterest in dreaming, because think of how most people think about dreaming. You know, dreaming is, you know, the 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 waste products of the mind or, or your mind in psychosis or whatever. I mean, we as a culture devalue dreaming. 
But that's why this thing of lucid dreaming, becoming consciously aware, being able to explore the psyche, explore your inner self, access greater creativity and all. That's why lucid dreaming someday is going to just totally blow people's mind. And, and so, so I'm really looking forward, you know, the next 10, 20 years to, to see what happens in this field. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So let's let's go down that path then a little bit. I want to talk to you about about that, exploring your psyche and getting into your inner self. Like when I was reading that part, I was blown away in, the, in, in your book there when you were talking about meeting the awareness. Like it really felt spiritual to me. Like it was very similar to some of like, the, like maybe the Buddhist principles or some of this mindfulness stuff or about, you know, being <clears throat> separate. Like, you know, when, when you learn mindfulness meditations and all that, you're, you, you realize that, oh, you're, I'm not my thoughts. I'm like the awareness behind my thoughts. It really reminded me of that when you're entering in, connecting with something, whether that was your inner or higher self or the collective unconscious. Can you talk about some of your personal experiences there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so, so what happened? So um, in 1985, so I'd been a lucid dreamer for 10 years. In 1985, I, I was part of a correspondence group by snail mail. And every month we had a lucid dream goal to achieve. And one month, the goal was when you become lucidly aware, find out what the dream characters represent. And so I thought, ah, you know, that's a pretty easy goal. I can do that. And so I was away on a business trip. I was out in Chicago uh, that night. I went to sleep. I remembered I had to do that goal by the end of the month. I became lucidly aware, followed a woman into an office building. And there were four people in the office. And so I'm lucidly aware. And I walk up to this guy and I just ask him just dead on, uh, excuse me. What do you represent? And, and, and so what was weird is all of a sudden, a voice boomed out part of a response from above the guy. And so, and so this giant voice booms out a response. And, and the response didn't really actually make sense. And so I had to ask for a clarification. And then instead of the dream character responding, this voice from above boomed out the response. And th this time it made sense. And so I woke up because I'd done the task and wrote down the lucid dream. But that next day I started to think, wait a second, where, where was that voice? What, what was that all about? And that's when I started to realize there might be an awareness behind the dream. You know, we're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of trained in waking life. To, you know, you talk to other people, you talk to your dog and cat, you know, you talk to living things. You might talk to your car, or your computer, and, you know, that'll be acceptable. But, but, you know, you, you, just, you just don't talk to space. I mean, you just don't shout out questions, you know, unless, you, unless you've totally lost it. So, so, so what I started to do in lucid dreams after that, to test out if there was an awareness behind the dream, a, a non-visible awareness, I would just shout out, once I became lucidly aware, I'd shout out questions or requests to the awareness behind the dream. Like you could shout out, hey, show me something important for me to see. Show me something important for me to see. And then I'll tell you, all of a sudden, the entire lucid dream will change. Everything will change. Or you can shout out, hey, let me experience unconditional love. I, I had a woman in London heard me give a talk, and she did that. She became lucidly aware and shouted out, hey, let me experience unconditional love. She said the resulting experience in the lucid dream was so powerful that when she woke up, she said she cried tears of joy for about 15 minutes because she had this incredibly powerful experience of unconditional love. So, so what I'm trying to get lucid dreamers to do 
is go beyond the dream figures, go beyond the dream setting, which all might be a projection of their mind for all that they know, and begin to just ask questions to the dream, to the awareness behind the dream. And and I'll tell you, uh, Graham and Darren, people are having their minds blown. I, I get so many emails from people who are starting to do this, and they just like go, wow, they just cannot believe what kind of experiences they're having when they start to engage this non-visible awareness behind the dream. from talking about your personal experience in, in that light of awareness uh, in order not to sort of uh, have people preconceive what that would be like? Or do you, do you talk about it? Oh, you know, uh, I, I, I talk about my experiences. Uh, a lot of times I like talking about other people's experiences because uh, otherwise it just seems a little bit too vain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and then I did this and then I did this. And, you know, but by minute 50, people, you know, just want to kill me. Right, know. right. No, well, that's understandable. Well, but everybody else. But the way you articulated that in your book was very powerful. Oh, you know, the, this this discovery of this awareness behind the dream. In the book, I bring out some quotes from uh, Carl Jung. Because Carl Jung, who investigated dreams and, and psychology and very deeply, he started to theorize, you know, that there might be some sort of inner awareness. But if there was an inner awareness... It'd have to show judgment and it'd have to show feeling and it'd have to show memory and it'd have to show all these characteristics. And in my book, I show examples of all these characteristics. Like, like here's an example. Um, a woman became lucidly aware and she shouted out, OK, show me the beginning and end of the universe. And she said, all of a sudden, the non-visible awareness behind the dream announced there is no beginning or end to the universe. The universe is an everlasting cycle. And so in that one experience, her question is basically refuted, but then an explanation is provided. And, and uh, there's another example in my book, a friend of mine, um, he wanted to experience uh, uh, part of super string theory is, uh, is hyper dimensions and super strings. And I can't remember exactly what he wanted to experience. It might have been a super string or a hyper dimension. And so he requested that to the non-visible awareness behind the dream. And all of a sudden, the voice said, you are not prepared at this time for an event of such magnitude. <laughs> and, and, and basically, he put in parentheses, oh, yeah, there is a woman wearing a bathing suit off to the side in the lucid dream. And then the voice went on and basically told him that he should come back and try again when his head was ready for the immensity of the experience that he, he was requesting. So 
So, so what I want to say is it's just not, you know, just like mind echoes. You know, you just get back any sort of crap that you put out there. That sometimes you'll make requests and the non-visible awareness behind the dream will basically say either you're not ready for it or that or that there's problems with your question, your request. Uh, your request isn't based on on valid premises. But anyway, it's it's a mind blower because Carl Jung said if someone could prove this, if someone could show this, that it would be a revolution in science because it would show that there was a second psychic system along with this outer ego awareness that, that we're, we spend most of our time in. Wow. Aaron, do you got something I wonder if that's, that's like coming face to face with your subconscious. You know, it, it, it really is. And, and you realize that, you know, you and your subconscious are working together, but, but the most wild, of the time. most of the time, yeah. So, so sometimes your subconscious is saying, do this. And you're saying, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. But, but the beautiful thing is, is, is that as you do this, you get more integrated. You, it, you know, uh, it's easier to kind of interact with your larger awareness, you know, that subconscious mind when you do this. And so, so, so that's why if you're a lucid dreamer out there, you've been listening to me next time you become lucidly aware, just shout out something simple, like show me something important for me to see. And and I'll tell you, 90% of you are going to have your minds blown because you'll see something truly profound. Wow. So cousin Jeff has uh, something he was, he was saying, have you guys got into, he just showed up late in the chat room and he was saying, have you guys gone into the idea of parallel universes slash multiverse and you and lucid dreaming? And that kind of is what, where I wanted to go with you next is to really speculate for a sec. Like if you were just to, to come up with the most crazy far out theory about what could be going on here, because I have these mem- like I've had dreams before. and I'm sure many people have that are so creative and so vivid and so crazy. I'm thinking there's no way even my subconscious or my mind or, <laughs> could come up with the stuff like it's just too too intense and too detailed so yeah, yeah. so are we traveling through parallel universes are we in a multiverse like let's totally speculate and go off on a tent like you know how how what would you think like what are some of the crazier theories out there you you know uh, th- there's actually some crazy experiences out there um th- this free online magazine that my friend uh, Lucy Gillis in Vancouver and I uh, produced called the Lucid Dreaming Experience, which anyone can find at luciddreammagazine.com. But but my friend Lucy is one of these people who's has a background in, in physics and has an interest in this. And so in some of her lucid dreams, she sought out probable selves, you know, probable Lucy's. And 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 she's had other experiences where she said she's had simultaneous dreams like two or three dreams occurring simultaneously and and so when you start to explore this kind of stuff uh, you you really begin to think you know that that maybe lucid dreaming would be the one area where you can kind of validate some of the ideas of of um, of modern physics you know, we, we have all these things, you know, that are really great ideas, you know, multiverses and hologram and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But but, you know, wh- where do you see it? Where do you see it in this world? And I'll tell you, in lucid dreams, you sometimes see this kind of stuff. You see probable realities. Sometimes you see simultaneous stuff. And, and um, it, it's it's incredible. Um, uh, the possibilities here, I think. Huh. 
What do you think, Darren? <laughs> I don't know. To me, I think I think that fucking lends more to the idea of like uh, single single consciousness or like a cloud or like something. A collective consciousness, yeah, a collective kind of? consciousness. And you're tapping into like some Akashic records or something. Exactly, like that. and maybe like this crazy shit you're dreaming up. Like maybe it's all <laughs> part of somebody's reality. Like every background, every scene, every place, no matter how wild you are, it's been seen by someone. Maybe not on Earth. Maybe. Fucking, and maybe or created by someone yeah or been been viewed maybe that's just stock footage but the stock Sto- footage goes by every right. every entity in the universe you yeah, know what yeah i mean like maybe yeah. maybe uh cloud consciousness or whatever doesn't just go as far as earth and humans yeah, yeah right, right right oh yeah yeah full on Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a crazy like being story. able to tell where a mole is or being able to learn information that you shouldn't otherwise know I mean, that person's not hooking up with you and telling you that information. That's like you're tapping into their stock footage someplace somehow. Right. right. And, uh. and, and you know, you, you might be onto something there. It might be tapping into the collective unconscious, this aware layer, this implicate order. And, and then again, it, it might not. But, but the beautiful thing about lucid dreaming is you can actually experiment. But one of the great things that I truly like about lucid dreaming is so lucid dreaming the scientific evidence came out in 1980 and and Stephen LeBurge was the first one with the scientific evidence and, and the way he proved or provided evidence for lucid dreaming he realized that in the dream state uh, we have rapid eye movement mm-hmm. and so he thought if you became lucidly aware could you move your eyes left to right eight times in the lucid dream and hopefully that would show up on the rapid eye movement readout that the eyes were moving left to right eight times. And, and so you had a predetermined signal that you were consciously aware in the dream state. And, and so he, he did that. He himself, uh, 20 some times o- over the course of a year. And, and also the same sort of experiments were happening in uh, England with Keith Hearn and Alan Worsley. But, but the beautiful thing about this, okay, the scientific evidence emerged in 1980. Lucid dreaming has been talked about for thousands of years in some ancient spiritual traditions. The Buddhists use lucid dreaming in their practice they call dream yoga. And, and Naropa, who is this 11th century Indian Buddhist yoga yogi, he, uh, he said that dream yoga was one of the six paths to enlightenment. Also in Sufism, they have a whole tradition of using lucid dreaming. You know, um, in, in other uh, traditions in Hinduism and shamanic practices, they also have used lucid dreaming. A lot of times when I talk to shamanic people, they say, well, gosh, uh, lucid dreaming sounds like uh, uh, what we call uh, journeying. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and really, you know, it, it, it's, it's quite similar. Uh, of course, it's happening in the dream state. So, so what, what I'm trying to get here is lucid dreaming, because it's been scientifically validated, might finally be this bridge between science on the one hand and this whole spiritual tradition that's existed for thousands of years on the other hand, this might be the one way that you can consciously access the larger mind, get the information, wake up with it, provide it to the scientists yeah. and say, you know, look, you know, this it, it's, it's mind blowing and it, it blows away the paradigm. And, and that, that, that's why I think some of the resistance to lucid dreaming is because if people really start thinking about it, they realize what, what a mind blower it could really be. 
What's your take on uh, DMT and where it fits into dreaming? I know that's not really yeah. your field per se, but. You know, uh, sometimes people bring up this stuff uh, like DMT or ayahuasca or, or things like that. And and I, I don't have any personal experience with, with this kind of stuff. The one thing that I'd say is this. In, in like an ayahuasca, you're having a, a powerful journey and a powerful inner journey, but it's also a chemically influenced journey. Because as soon as those chemicals get processed through your body, through your system, you know, you'll pop out on the other side and, and probably be changed because of the power of it. And, and the same with DMT, which sounds like it all happens in five or ten minutes and, and then you and then you stumble away. So 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 in a lucid dream, though, in a lucid dream, because it hasn't been chemically influenced, really, you you're kind of on your own organic trip. I mean, it, it's just organically happening. You're going along with it. If you know how to lucid dream, how to stay in the lucid dream, how to explore the awareness behind the dream, how to set up experiments like this, you, you, you can you can totally totally blow your mind. Uh, I mean, it's it's truly fantastic what can happen because you know. Uh, in in my book, I, I give like basically my first 20 some years of journeying deeper and deeper into lucid dreaming. And finally I got to a point where I wanted to go beyond lucid dreaming. And, and, and that's, that's when, you know, just some crazy stuff started to happen. Some, some just truly wild stuff started to happen. So, so, so I want to tell you that there's stages and depths to this, that, that, that most lucid dreamers have never ever considered. And I think that's why my book sells so well. It, it sells now better than it did seven years ago when great it, that's good yeah. for you man that's I, yeah. I love that that's awesome because it was it was a bit of a shock to me because i went from Leberge's book a while ago and i bought yeah. a couple other lucid dreaming books and i didn't really get into them too much and then i went into yours and it was just a, it was a page turner right off the bat and it goes really deep that's what i like about it you get into all those different aspects of the the psyche and the spirituality part of it oh yeah uh, and uh what else was i going to say about that so it's, it is hard, though. People need to realize that it, you can't just think about, oh, I'm going to lose a dream tonight and then do it. Like, it is, it's tough, man. I and, and I think part of it is, I think you're supposed to, I mean, you know, dream journal and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I have to say over the last few weeks as I've tried it, almost every night I've sort of tried it, uh, had the intention to do it. I, the, the side effect is my dreams are way more memorable now and they're more, pretty much more intense. Like, it's definitely created a change in my dreaming, just the, the, uh, you know, the effort to trying to lucid dream. So I, I think it's going to happen for me. It's just going to take a little bit more time. Yeah. You, you know, it does take a little bit of time and, uh, you know, people are busy and, and everyone's engaged in their life and that kind of stuff. But, but there's some natural lucid dreamers out there and, and some people who really have a natural talent for it. Once they get into the game, the, you know they they see that they're they're good at it. But. So what is that like? What do you know? What some of the components of that talent are like? Are they just more? Because I feel like I'm open minded enough. I got the intention. Like, well, why yeah. doesn't it happen easier? Like, I just get sucked into my dreams, and I love like I love dreaming, and then it's almost like too. I'm just having too much f sort of interest or fun <laughs> in there. Too much fun. <laughs> yes. like, oh, why bother becoming lucid? Like. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, one thing that, that I try to encourage people to do is develop a lucid mindset. And, and, and what I mean is, in most dreams, we just go along with whatever happens. 
I mean, if if we're driving a car and then it becomes a bicycle yeah. and then it becomes a, a scooter, I mean, we just go along with it. We don't we don't ever stop and think. I mean, I mean, what what's up with that? And and so so it's pretty obvious that we lack critical awareness in, in regular dreaming. We just go along. And so so if you want to develop a lucid mind, you have to start to get critically aware during the day. If you're more aware during the day, you'll be more aware at night and you'll start to question stuff and you'll realize, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. How was I in a car and now I'm in a scooter, you know, and, and you'll become lucidly aware. But but even though it's easy for me to say that, you really got to make it part of your daily life. You got to question things. You got to examine things. And if you do that, then it'll carry over into your dream state. <laughs> Interesting. OK, before I forget, I do have another Somewhat personal question, okay. but uh, <laughs> it's about nightmares, I guess, and specifically uh, either shadow people and or incubus or succubus encounters. Like through all this research you've done, have you had people come to you or have you had people talk about uh, dealing with uh, somewhat lucid, somewhat real entities that bother them in the night? Right, right. So, uh in lucid dreaming, um, you start to realize as you consciously interact with dream figures that there's a lot of variance. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll go up to a lucid dream figure and, and ask it a question, and, and it'll just look at you and walk away. Or, or other people have walked up to dream figures and said, hey, uh, do you know I'm dreaming you? Yeah. And the dream figure will, will reply, how do you know I'm not dreaming you? And then the lucid dreamer will say, well, well, well look, I can fly. And then the dream figure says, well, look, I can fly too. And, and, and so, so you start to realize that there's all these various levels of dream figures, you know, that, that, there's, that there's a whole, whole level to it. So, so one thing uh, that, that I encourage people to do if they want to play around in a lucid dream is uh, announce all thought forms, and that is projections of, of your thoughts. All thought forms must now disappear. And it's really hilarious. In some lucid dreams, all the dream figures will disappear. <laughs> but it, but in some lucid dreams, you know, half the dream figures will disappear. But the other half will look at you like, you know, can't you tell that I'm different than those <laughs> those other dream figures? So 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 my first point is just simply that 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 dream figures vary. And and what really happened to me to impress this on me when I was like ten years into lucid dreaming. Uh, one, one time I became consciously aware and there's this crowd of people below me. And, and so I was just flying around and, and everyone who had on a hat, I was knocking off their hat as I flew over their heads. I mean, you know, I was, you know, 28 years old and I was having this lucid dream. Uh, and then all of a sudden, when I was swooping down, a hand reached up and grabbed me, grabbed my wrist in the lucid dream and stopped me from flying and knocking hats off. And that that really stunned me. Finally, I got away, but that really made me think for the first time, you know, maybe maybe some of these dream figures are more consciously aware than I thought. And, and so these are the kind of dream figures that most experienced lucid dreamers call independent agents. Right. They're just they're just aspects that exist in this dream reality who have their own way of viewing things, their own action. And sometimes, you know, they're. They're not basically going along with what you're doing. And again, that's another reason why I say the lucid dreamer truly does not control the lucid dream. We manipulate and influence ourselves, but we really don't control the dream. So so we also have this issue, though, of what Carl Jung brought up, which is the, the shadow. 
And so the shadow in Jungian psychology or philosophy is is the denied, ignored, repressed aspects of ourselves. Mm. And normally they're in a shadow position behind us. You know, so, so like think of think of your normal nightmare. You're being chased by something and, and it's almost always behind you. Most of the time you don't even look around to see what's chasing you. You just know it's there and you, you run, you know, screaming your head off. But um, I remember one lucid dream. Uh, so the dream started out that I was in the southern United States, like a farmhouse in Louisiana. And then when the woman put beans on my plate, I realized, wait a second, I, I don't live in you know a farmhouse in Louisiana. This must be a dream. And, and that's when I realized that there was someone behind me. And so because I was consciously aware, I know that, oh, normally the shadow is behind me. I turned around and it was it was this uh, attractive black woman. I picked her up. I put her right in front of me and I just looked her in the eye and I said, who are you? Who are you? And she looked at me and she said, I am a discarded aspect of yourself. And and then I had to think, how do you respond to a discarded aspect of yourself? And I, I just totally accepted her from my heart. And it was so wild. Graham and Darren, to watch this dream figure, as soon as I accepted her, she shrank down into little wisp of colored light that entered my chest and gave me a jolt. And, and, and when I got jolted, uh, I woke up. Wow. And when I woke up, it took me a week to realize what she meant, that she was a discarded aspect. But But she was all the energy that had been in my first attempt to write a book on lucid dreaming. I tried to do it two or three years earlier, but it was just impossible to write about how incredible lucid dreaming is, and I gave up. And as soon as I had this lucid dream where I reintegrated or reaccepted that discarded energy, that discarded aspect, now all of a sudden I had the energy to write this book, my first book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. So so, so what I'm what I'm trying to say, there's... All sorts of energy, some of it's your own projected mind form, but some of it, like let's say you interact with a deceased person in the lucid dream. You know, all of a sudden you see grandma and you realize, wait a second, grandma's been dead. But then you have to think, well, is this grandma a dream symbol or is this grandma a spiritual essence? Right. And the beautiful thing about lucid dreams is that you can have conversations and you can kind of figure that out because if if grandma comes and she comes to tell you something or give you a warning about something that's going to occur, you know, in a couple of weeks, and it turns out later in a couple of weeks that that warning was valid. I mean, what does that say about the nature of, you know, afterlife existence? I mean, it might be coming from the cloud. It might be coming from the collective unconscious. It might just be coming through the through the mouth of, of deceased grandma. But still, it's it's a pretty powerful thing when you interact with a deceased uh, friend or a deceased relative in the lucid dream state. Yeah, my sister Joe had a and had a couple uh, encounters with uh, with our deceased father, and and I'm going to probably butcher this encounter, but she uh, she was on her I think she was on her balcony or she saw my dad and a bunch of spirits or something flying outside or outside, and they said come come with her, and she just like she left her friends and she went out with them and. I think they kind of took her through the universe or something like that, but he kind of said something and it was some sort of precog thing about the secret, like watch for the secret or something. And then a week later she ended up watching the movie, the secret. And uh, it was a transformative part of her, 
uh, you know, change in her life with a, there was a bunch of life changes going on. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it is pretty powerful. Very interesting. Uh, you know, I, I had a woman, so, so I do these, uh, month long workshops, uh, with this company glidewing.com. And, and, and I had this one woman who was a great lucid dreamer. She told me what happened to her. She, she said she knew in her family that there was a family secret that had to do with, with, the family property, you know, the acreage and, and all. And, and so one night she became lucidly aware when she saw one of her deceased uncles and she asked the deceased uncle, you know, what's the deal with this family secret that no one will talk about? And, and the deceased uncle told her, look, go to the county courthouse, go to this particular room, ask for file number, you know, DC 1222, and, and you'll, you'll read about it. And she said she woke up, she wrote down the information, she went to the county courthouse, she went to that room, she asked for that file, and it was the file of the family's intra-family battle about 50 years earlier uh, about the sale of, of some property, of some family property. And, and she, she said, how do you get that kind of information? How do you get it down to a specific file, you know, if that wasn't truly my, my uncle? But but again, it might have come from the collective unconsciousness. It might have come from her deceased uncle. But but the information panned out, and and there you go. Wow, My c- cousin Jeff wants to elaborate a little bit on the spiritual aspect of lucid dreaming. I think he's he's been aware while he's dreaming, and the fact that the person is deceased. So maybe that's a dream dream sign, cousin Jeff, that you can become lucid uh, <laughs> when you meet somebody that you know is deceased. Maybe he's a medium. <laughs> Maybe he's a medium. <laughs> Maybe he's a medium. Yeah, you know, one thing I do want to say to Jeff and, and people who might want to explore lucid dreaming uh, spiritually is is here's what people always do. They become lucidly aware and, and the spiritually oriented people, they want to go find God. And, and I'll tell you, if, if you if if you, if you if you want to have no success, that's what you do, because because probably within five or 10 seconds, you know, all your circuits will be blown and, and you'll wake up and you won't have any experience. And, and so that, that's why I encourage people, here's a few things you can do. Ask to experience a, a spiritual quality, like become lucidly aware and shout out, let me experience unconditional love, and then see what happens. And I'll tell you, for a lot of people, that's extraordinarily powerful. Or let me experience divine grace, or, or let me experience, having, having that experience can be quite quite powerful. In fact, what's so incredible about the awareness behind the dream is you can ask, if it becomes too powerful, you can tell it to stop or cancel. Or you can ask, let me have that experience for one minute. And after one minute, the experience will cease and you'll return to a regular dream. Wow, that's but, great advice. Yeah. But, but, but if you want to go deeper into spiritual stuff, here's, here's what I suggest. Become lucidly aware, stop what you're doing, and begin to meditate. So for, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for me, meditating means emptying my mind. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to tell you what happens when you start to empty your mind. But, but I, I was on a webinar with a guy who teaches for a, a Zojin a Buddhist tradition, and when he heard me say, "What happens when you empty your mind by meditating in a lucid dream?" He, he told me he couldn't believe that I was talking about this because that's what their tradition teaches is supposed to happen when you meditate in a lucid dream. But, but yeah, for your listeners out there, hey, become lucidly aware if you're interested or have a meditation practice, begin to meditate in your lucid dream. 
I'll, I'll tell you, it, it'll be a cosmic experience and it'll, it'll happen very quickly too. It, it's not, you know, 20 minutes getting into it. It's like, you know, within a minute, if you're not there, uh, it's not going to happen. So, so, so yeah. Easy. Pardon? I wonder if it's easier than meditating in real life. Cause I can't even <laughs> meditate in, in my waking life, let alone Come in my on, dreaming man. life or lucid dream. But I could probably lucid dream off a bag of mushrooms and see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, you know what's interesting is the Buddhists. Uh, they say that an action performed in a lucid dream is seven times more powerful than one performed in waking reality. And, and I think the reason is 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 once you get out of your kind of ego level and you get down to that deeper level. I mean, it's kind of like being in deep hypnosis, and and in deep hypnosis, people can do some wild stuff. And, and so when you're that deep in a lucid dream, you, you can do some wild stuff. And and I'm sure Darren could even conjure up a bag of shrooms if he had to. <laughs> That's hilarious. But I better only need half a gram then, I guess. Yeah. Seven times. <laughs> so I do want to talk about healing quickly because uh, I don't want to leave that on the table because that's a, it's sort of, we've done a lot of different podcasts on healing and, and uh, it's amazing how many things uh, incorporate a little healing aspect. Um, so there have been examples of people healing themselves and others. Maybe you can just talk about a couple of the more prominent ones. Yeah. You know, um, so in my book, I have a chapter on, on physical healing and lucid dreams. And, and a lot of it's uh, uh, through the work of my good friend, uh, Ed Kellogg. Uh, Ed Kellogg has a PhD in biochemistry from Duke university. And, and so he's no slouch and he, he's a great lucid dreamer too. And so what he did one time back in the 80s, he punctured one of his tonsils with a shish kebab stick oh. when he was eating something too vigorously. And, and, and he said it became infected and inflamed. He had red lines coming up and down the side of his neck. And so he, he kind of hates going to doctors and the whole medical thing. So he became lucidly aware and he directed healing intent on, on his infected tonsil. And, and he, he said when he woke up, basically 90% of the pain was gone. Uh, within a day, all the red lines and everything dis disappeared. And, and he realized that there's a powerful mind-body effect in a lucid dream. And, and so he, one of his friends, uh, her name was Annie, she told him that she had horrible planter warts on her feet. And these things were so uh, nasty that it made it painful to walk. And for months, she'd been trying to visualize these things to go away, but they wouldn't. And, and so Ed convinced her to give it a try in a lucid dream. This woman became lucidly aware. She, she remembered, oh, yeah, she wanted to heal her plantar warts. And so what she did, she created a ball of healing light between her hands and placed it over each of her feet in the lucid dream, intending for them to be healed. She said when she woke up, she looked at her feet, and overnight, the plantar warts had all turned black. And within 10 days, they all fell off and they never returned. And, and so the beautiful thing about this is that you could do this as a scientific medical research experiment. You get 20 people with a non-life-threatening ailment, you know, like maybe a skin problem or something that resists normal treatment. You have 10 of them be the control group, 10 of them just be the scientific research group who are taught lucid dreaming and how to heal in a lucid dream. And and I bet you'd come back a year later and see much more improvement in the Lucid Dream group. But but I'll, I'll tell you, in our magazine, the Lucid Dreaming Experience, and 
through emails and on Facebook. People are sending me all sorts of incredible accounts of healing in lucid dreams. And, and it's, it's really profound. You know, besides physical healing, there's also emotional healing. People mm-hmm. working through, you know, some pretty heavy duty psychological stuff, phobias and anxiety and stuff in the lucid dream state. Wow. And so, so, so I think this is one of the real practical areas that everyone can see the potential here as a alternate uh, healing modality. So it's almost like being able to see behind the veil or something, right? It's like you get those little bit of psychic abilities when you're not dreaming or you have those little tendencies of being able to do other things. And it's like when you're lucid dreaming, it's almost like you've taken all this crap and moved it out of the way and maybe enhanced all these abilities we kind of have anyway, but kind of maybe throw to the wayside or don't notice or what what have you. You, you know, I think you're right, Darren. It's, it's kind of like, when you're consciously aware at that deep of a level, then you can really do some pretty, what most people would consider magical stuff. But at that level, it's not really that magical. It's just kind of, you got to know what to do and how to do it. And and in my book, I also give examples. So I give about a dozen examples of people who had successful uh, lucid dream healings. But then I give examples of two or three people who didn't have any success and I show how they went about it, how they kind of uh, uh, approached it in the wrong way. And, and so, of course, they didn't have any uh, result. So, so there, are, there are, you have to approach it the right way. So what if you, what if you had, uh, I got a question here more about the bigger picture of, of lucid dreaming in your organizations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What would you do? Like if you had all the resources you needed and you, like obviously some of you, you guys are trying to uh, <clears throat> approach the scientific community or, or, you know, sell this a little bit more to, to this dogmatic materialistic science paradigm that we're in. But uh, if you had all the resources and means, what would, what would you think you guys could do? Wow. You know, I, I've, I've really wondered that myself. In fact, I've even thought, you know, here in the past few months, maybe I should set up like a nonprofit organization. I mean, first there's a lot, of new young people who have a lot of lucid dream experience. Hmm. And a lot of these young guys, they write me and they say, Hey, I'm going to graduate school. You know, should I get into lucid dreaming or should I, whatever. <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, if you're in, in medical school, learning about mind body interaction in the lucid dream state is great. Like, in fact, a, a guy wrote me on Facebook the other day and said he was a medical internist. And in one lucid dream, he he got rid of 80% of the pain in his torn rotator cuff. And he said he, he couldn't believe in one lucid dream he could do that. And and, and the, the guy was almost embarrassed by the, you know, by 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 this. But but if I had all the resources and stuff, you know, I would start getting the money out there to educate people about a thoughtful approach to lucid dreaming, to educate people about exploring these larger concepts, because it's just like art. I mean, at art, you know, most of us are drawing stick figures, but if you really know conceptually what to do and the techniques, you can do some incredible things. And then I would start spending money on research because this stuff is all researchable and the scientists, if there's research money available, they'll pay attention. But in this field of dreaming and lucid dreaming, where it, 
I'll tell you, this is how bad it is. In the International Association for the Study of Dreams, every year uh, the organization gives out about 10,000 to 15,000 in research grants. Mm -hmm. And normally that funds four or five dream research and lucid dream research works. I mean, these people are, are so happy to get $3,000 wow. to do research. I mean, that, that's, how, that's how sad this and devalued and disregarded this area of dreaming and, and lucid dreaming really wow. is. And, 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 and so that, that, you know, that's why this could really shift things. And it's, a, it's truly a revolutionary tool because not only can you access your larger awareness, you can access creativity, you could access inventions in lucid dreams if you knew how and had the right kind of focus and all. But when it gets when it gets kind of wasted, you know, people don't get it. People just use it to, you know, uh, you know, have lucid dream sex and you know, and and fly around and torment dream figures. I, I mean, when you don't get the larger picture of it. You, you, you'll never you'll never get to that place. So so anyway, that's what I do: educate people, conduct research. Huh. Have you ever heard of uh, Alex Sakaris's podcast, uh, Skeptical, at all? You, you know, I know it exists. I know it exists. Yeah. I got to get you on there, man. It fits perfectly with all that stuff he's talking about with consciousness and this oh, whole, cool. yeah, this whole, uh, you know, this whole research part of it, and the and the battle between the dogmatic skeptics and the other people that are researching consciousness. So fits in well. Uh, Darren usually asks a question about synchronicity. And it's funny when we, when you talked about uh, <laughs> the, uh, he's laughing at me, the, the, the way you, uh, in, you were inspired to, to write your book. Yeah. It's fascinating to me because we've had this with a lot of the authors that we've had on just something happened in their life to create these books that they write you know, some sort of life-changing event or some sort of epiphany or synchronicity. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a trend for sure. Now, what, uh, have you experienced, uh, synchronicities at all, or do you have, uh, your own, have you ever thought about that word, that definition? Do you have a definition for us about that? Oh yeah. You know, uh, well, when you get deeper into lucid dreaming, um, um, you start to have more instances of powerful synchronicities and stuff like that. And, and so I'll, I'll just give you an example from, from um, about seven years ago. So, so you, you have to realize I'm meditating during the afternoon. So, so I'm, I'm wide awake and I'm meditating and I get down really deep in this meditation and um, I can feel the awareness behind the dream or my larger self. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, I'm meditating. So I just reach out to it like it was a lucid dream and I ask it an open-ended question. I just say, uh, so, so, Hey, uh, awareness, what do you have to say to me? <laughs> and, and, and so this is happening while I'm awake in a meditative state. It, it, it says to me, we want you to send $10,000 to your friend, Paul, back in your hometown. And, and I thought, what? And, and so, so I climbed out of the meditation and I thought, what the shit? You know, what's that all about? Send, send uh, $10,000 to my friend back in my hometown. So the next day I'm in meditation again and I, I get down really deep and uh, I can feel my larger awareness plus the deceased mother of my friend Paul. Uh, and so I reach out again, you know, hey, uh, larger awareness, what do you have to say to me? And it says, again, we want you to send $10,000 to your friend Paul back in your hometown. And whoa, so I come out of that. And so 
I told my wife, I go, look, if I ever have the same dream twice, I always act on it. You know, I know, I know it's important. And I go, but gosh, 10,000, that's a lot of money. And so my wife is a, is a smart lady. And she goes, uh, well, look, let's, let's send Paul. We'll, we'll write him a check for $1,000. And we'll just say, look, Paul, we're your friends. If you need help, we'll help you. And so we put that in the mail. Four days later, the phone rings. It's my friend Paul. And, and he's blubbering over the phone so much. For, for the first 10 seconds, I couldn't even understand him. But, but he told me that he had gone to his mom's grave site a week earlier and he screamed at it. If somebody didn't help him, he's going to kill himself. And um, he said he needed $10,000 to build a handicapped bathroom on the side of his house because he wanted his father, who had broken his hip three months earlier, fallen in the bathroom, his 86-year-old father. He said it was killing him to see his 86-year-old father in a nursing home where they said they were going to teach him to walk. But my friend could tell he'd never walk again. And so my friend wanted to build a handicapped accessible bathroom on his house, have his dad come live with him. And the state of Kansas gives 40 hours of uh, nursing care a week for, for that kind of home health care. And, and darned if he didn't do it. And his dad lived with him for six and a half years. And it, it was the wildest thing. But, but what, I, what I want to say here is that, you know, here's an incredible synchronicity. You're not supposed to get that kind of information in the waking state. I mean, you're not supposed to get down to that level of specificity, like ten thousand dollars. Yeah. All about it. And your friend Paul in this town, eight hours away, you know, that I go to at Christmas and and all. So, so when you get into lucid dreaming and you go it in deep, you start to integrate the conscious and the unconscious minds, and and you start to have access to information that normally normally you you wouldn't imagine so uh so so yeah yeah so darren you're, you're dead on synchronicity happens and uh and the more you get in touch with that deeper aspect of yourself the, the easier it is to to check into I wonder if it counts as a synchronicity when it's in lucid dream that's like cheating that's like inside baseball <laughs> yeah he wasn't in lucid dream at that one but yeah, yeah. Well, that, well that one i was in a awakening meditation but 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 you're right uh lucid dreaming uh a, Pushes the scales uh, to your side and gives you a much better chance. Have you tried uh, doing any like inception level shit yet? Like going to sleep in your lucid dream and seeing if you can dream into another dream and see if you're even got more shit out of the way. (laughs) You know, actually, uh, it it is pretty wild. If you become consciously aware and go deeper. It is possible. Uh, I, I almost even hate to talk about it because I don't want to get people in trouble. But, but yeah, that, 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 there's, some, there's some wild stuff you can do. There's some wild stuff you can do. So is there anywhere, for people that are interested in this and want to go to conferences and that type of stuff, are you traveling around? Are you speaking anywhere? You got any conferences no. coming up at all? Yeah. I, about twice a year, I, I do an online conference uh, at glidewing.com. And, okay. and what's, what's nice about that, it goes on for a month and you can ask a bunch of questions and there's videos and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but my most recent online event with them uh, ends here on Saturday. And so the next one probably won't be till January, February. Um, yeah, I go around to give talks, you know, sometimes at universities and, and sometimes at places. I'll be at the East West Bookstore in Mountain View, California. I think like March 25th and 26th. Uh, I'll be giving a talk, a free talk, and then two days of workshops. But but I'm always happy to be invited. If if you have a group that wants to get get together, 
do a week long or a weekend on lucid dreaming, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come because, uh, this is really my passion and, uh, and really what I plan to do for the rest of my life is teach others about lucid dreaming and about the larger aspect of lucid dreaming. I love it, man. Thank God for guys like you that have these passions about these, uh, you know, paradigm changing phenomenons. I, I love it. Yeah, that's uh, great. It's fun. It's fun. And, and it was great talking to, to you and Darren, cause, uh, you know, I can tell you guys are, are interested in all this stuff and, uh, and, and and those are the nice interviews to talk to. Uh, the the worst interviews are the guys who who haven't remembered a dream in forty years, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, and, and they still want to know why their teeth fall out in the dream state. And it's like, oh my god, let's get back to the subject, can we? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. No, we're. Uh, I'll I'll be emailing you with a call, with first couple lucid dreams coming up here shortly. Hopefully. Uh, good, I was good. really hoping to have one last night. I think I was trying too hard. I'm like, I got to have one like the night before the <laughs> interview. But uh, yeah, it's been very informative. And, and man, we uh, we want to thank you for coming on and, and, and wish you all the best in your in your journey here and in education and uh, in research on this awesome topic. Uh, th- 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 thanks, Graham. And, and thanks, Darren. You, you guys have been a lot of fun. Welcome back to Grand America. That was our chat with Robert Wagner, a dreaming guru. Yeah, that was a fun one. I can, I'm gonna have to try that out. Maybe over my holiday, I'll try and lucid dream or something. Hmm. I can lend you my uh, my remote now. No. Oh. But maybe I can. I, you know, I want to fly to Smoky Town and fuck shit up. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That happened actually between our recording and releasing of that episode. So we'll see how it goes. Goes from that. I wonder what you'll dream about tonight. I don't know. Sky's the limit. Yeah, that's right. That's why I like it. I like, I like, I like so yeah, we want to thank Robert Wagner. I, I think that's a fascinating, fascinating uh, piece of the consciousness puzzle that could be easily scientifically investigated or, or more easily than some phenomena. We just got to figure out how to put cameras in your head. Yeah. We could practice. We could try. We could get a GoPro and a skill saw or something. (laughs) (laughs) See if we can broadcast your lucid dreams. Yeah, another visit to Smoky Town. Aliens in the Smoky Town. Yeah, (laughs) fucking patent pending or copyright. I don't know. What is it when it's a movie idea? Yeah. I think you just don't tell anyone. Yeah. (laughs) Probably see that movie come out. So uh, we've got a couple of great ones coming up. We've got a double header with uh, this. This episode may come out the day before uh, the double header, which is in backstage, uh, Grand America slash backstage. And it's with um, 
the observatory project or suspiciousobservers.org. That's Ben Davidson. He's got a mobile RV educational observatory traveling around North America. Fascinating. Another alternate view on climate change, that type of stuff. And then we've also got Randall Carlson coming back for a great couple hours to see where his renegade, renegade academia is going. His catastrophist theories and that type of stuff. Yeah, that'll be fun. And I think that'll about shut us down probably till the new year. I don't think we'll do another interview till the new year. Uh, maybe not. I've kind of left a little bit of opening there, but we got a couple booked in January too. So we have... Um, that double header will give us the ability to take the holiday off and just do like maybe an intro and some editing. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we have a couple, couple coming up. Um, Paul Hellier's coming up. And also a book, an author about uh, the red orbs, the invasion of the red orbs. And do you know who our next release is? That's, uh, well, depends on what we want to do, but it could be uh, the JFK guy, right? Oh, that's right. That's right, JFK. Bada bing, bada boom. All right, guys. Thanks a bunch for listening. Uh, subscribe to the show if you aren't already. Review us where you can. And spam the shit out of the ground. Dream, dream, dream.